Hello, and welcome to episode 170 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the boxer shorts. This week, we're going to be talking about Rain Man on your Kmart Sucks podcast. Mandy Kay, and even though I'm not on Twitter much these days, you can find me over there at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. I'm so close to starting a fashion blog about Shit's Creek. Wow. I'm so close. And, and mainly that's because no one else has done it yet. Oh, goodness. I am. I, I think we could both say I'm 100% not the person to write a fashion blog <laughs> about anything. Right. Maybe Bill and Ted, you know, could, could I write a fashion blog about surfer fashions? Very possibly, mm-hmm. you know, but no one else has done it. And I think they do a lot of interesting things with it. And well, you have like daily, I want to say daily devotionals, but that's not the right word, but um, a daily snippet for uh, Myra's uh, wigs. Moira's, oh, I, I, I cannot pronounce Moira. her name. Moira. 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 My mouth does not <laughs> oh, move that way. Bebe. So. <laughs> I am also obsessed with her, with her, whatever it's called, accent. Um, <laughs> I mean, the show itself is hit and miss, yeah. just so everyone's clear here. But I think they're doing a lot of interesting work with the fashion. And so when Mad Men was on screens, there's a website called Tom and Lorenzo that did a series called Mad Style, where every episode they looked at the fashions mm-hmm. and what they were doing with the design and the style of it. And 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 there were things, they're like, oh, if Joan wears purple... You know something's about to go down. You know she's about to get an emotional body blow. Oh wow! Okay. Because they they do these things with her, and I don't think they're quite doing that on Shit's Creek. I'm not sure or not, but I have not yet started season two, so I I have no valid feedback for you. Mm. No valuable feedback for you. Except I think you. So should what I need do it. is is for someone to watch it and screen grab all the fashions and label all the people. As they go, so I can then build up a repository of them. You know, Matthew could do that. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on with all of this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're hilarious. You're hilarious. Anyway, um... So Rain Man. Rain Man. We are Let's talk about the thing we're Rain supposed Man. to talk about. Oh, we haven't got a guest. It's so strange. Yes, the Having first one in a while. On, yeah, the, this bit on the intro where normally you'd be like, hey, this week we're welcoming you on. Hey, tell us about your show. Why did you pick this film? Getting into it. We've got this gap in our outline of like filler. Well, I can tell you why I wanted us to do Rain Man now. I, I Actually, that is a really good one that I'd like to talk about because... We don't often hit serious films. Mm-hmm. So why Rain Man? Because this is now the fourth Tom Cruise movie that we've done on the show. Okay. And every movie that we've done so far, I've always said I've never seen a Tom Cruise movie I didn't like. Okay. And so I wanted to continue watching Tom Cruise movies, hoping that the trend continues. Okay. And realizing that I'm perfectly capable of watching dramas now and enjoying them whereas i may not have been whenever i was a a, a wee child like an adult <laughs> exactly oh, oh mandy 
Um, what were you expecting? What did you think this was? I knew they were brothers. Okay. But I didn't know that the main that Tom Cruise's character didn't know he had a brother. It's like I just I okay. knew they 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 were brothers, and I knew that Dustin Hoffman played someone who I think the word you use is neuroatypical. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I knew it was. I'm gonna say autism, but that's a whole conversation in and of itself because mm-hmm. kind of you know I I didn't know what that looked like in his character. I didn't know what the quote unquote diagnosis was. I just knew he was neuroatypical, and I knew mm-hmm. it was a movie of those two doing yeah. things. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all I knew. I had really no other expectations. I thought it might get emotional because serious family dramas usually do. Yep. And then um, when Wikipedia called it a comedy drama, I was a little bit confused. Hmm. Okay. And it's probably worth us touching on, like, we're, we're potentially unprepared to be able to talk about some of these subjects. Yes. We're not the right people to touch on them. I, I am worried I'm going to use the wrong term for something. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are, there are words I'm not going to use. I can guarantee you that. Um, but there are, you, you know, neuroatyp- neuroatypical, I think it is an appropriate word, an accepted word. And it covers I think a particularly, wide range of, of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and particularly it comes from, as I understand it, the community wanting to be able to talk about neurotypical people mm-hmm. people who do not necessarily have learning difficulties mental issues some sort of issue they're dealing with mm-hmm. and even that i'm worried like oh is issues not the right thing because it's implying there's a problem it's not always a problem people can deal with these and live very happy you know right so uh, uh, we're definitely going to get into this we just did our final screening for gummy film society and it was a film called the peanut butter falcon okay which is about a, a a lad 20s maybe with down syndrome breaking out of the institution he lives in to travel down north carolina to be become a um wrestler with this the salt water wrestler dude or something okay and he he it's a sort of road buddy movie thing although it, it appears I'll, i think some of it's on boats i didn't admittedly watch all of it with shia labeouf and they're being chased by dakota johnson who looks after him in the home he lives in um, okay but it is a down syndrome person playing that role and clearly playing the role for you know it gets very very good reports from the society circuit mm-hmm. so i'm not sure i can refer to it as an issue right right <laughs> i'm not sure that's that's the right word so i think this is me up front waffling for way too long to say i want to say the right things and i'm gonna feel dreadful if i don't but yes i'm gonna try not to i am right there with you yeah. i I want to be sensitive and I want to be able to talk about these things. I think they should be talked about. I think, Mm -hmm. but even saying these things, you know, I feel like that's the wrong way to talk about it. And I don't know what the right words are um, because our society traditionally has not done this well. Mm. And, and I, I want to come at this from a very respectful and inclusive manner and talking about mm-hmm. it, and and so I'm I'm really glad we're having this conversation up front, um, so that I hope that our audience knows that our intention is absolutely to be inclusive, yeah, and and I yeah, and to just talk about people talking about people, 
Like, that's kind mm. of where I feel like we are. Like, that that's all I can say. Yeah, I think it is good there is a movie that allows us to talk about this. I would hate it if... I mean, this is part of the point of movies is it tells every story, so everyone should have something that represents them. And we can use this movie to talk about neurotypical and neuroatypical and the way people deal and how it affects you and how, the way different people deal with it. And I think this this movie, oh, uh, you know, this is getting into the conversation a bit, actually, isn't it? But this it allows you to have some of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want us to say, oh, no, we shouldn't go near anything that talks about people who have some neuroatypical thing mm-hmm. <laughs> because we would then be just cutting them out of dialogue that they should be part of. Correct. Yes. But But at the same time, there's no one... You know, Dustin Hoffman is a very capable actor and Tom Cruise is a very capable actor. However much time they spend with those people. This is why the Peanut Butter Falcon, I can say, is like so good because it clearly was a guy with Down syndrome mm-hmm. playing the part. You know, you right. could spoof that. God, I hope no one's ever spoofed that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, you know, who knows? I feel certain. I'm sure somebody in Hollywood had a great idea to do that. Quote, yeah, unquote, probably, great. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So... Rain Man. Good. So, yes, let's. that was cards on the table moment. <laughs> do you want us to tell us... Do you think you've told us what, what it's about, or do you want to give us anything more of the synopsis? Um, I don't think we've actually talked about what it's about. Okay. Because um, we haven't even used the words that the movie uses at this point mm. to describe anything. Um, but my synopsis doesn't either. So I, I struggled writing this synopsis, and I decided to go with as high level as possible. After his father dies, Charlie Babbitt learns he has an older brother who has been in an institution for decades. Okay. That's I mean I mean that's a really simple bit of the plot. Like It is, but if that was the film <laughs> That's a that's a one room drama. That's, you know? that's like what, a minute? Um but yeah. but the movie is is about the relationship developing between these two men at its core. And and kind mm. of the consequences of Charlie learning that he has a brother and, and we go through anger, frustration, confusion to acceptance and in the journey. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit because I don't feel like the acceptance part is earned, but at its core without having to write an entire like paragraph about Ray being in an, institution why raise in an institution they call him they do call him autistic in the movie he is intended to be um a savant who also is autistic but i don't Mm. think in the 80s they recognized the difference no um or or, or at least treat them as two separate things right i read that the original screenplay didn't even have the word autism in it uh, because they didn't really know much about it at that point and mm-hmm. so they wrote him and um mimicked real life people in in the movie mm. but you know getting into all of that in a brief synopsis is makes it not a brief synopsis anymore so i went with the thing i could distill it down to and That's this bad. movie would bad. not exist without this piece of information that okay. charlie Babbitt has an older brother that he didn't know about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his father's $3 million estate is left to that that brother. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Quite a setup. So you always like Tom Cruise films. Why did you not watch Rain Man? 
Because it was an 80s drama with Dustin Hoffman in it. And as a younger person, that was an old people movie. Okay, it's fair. That's the best thing I can come up with. It was an old people movie, and now I've seen it. Okay. So, Rain Man is a 1988 comedy drama, so says Wikipedia, written by Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass, directed by Barry Levinson. It stars Tom Cruise as Charlie Babbitt and Dustin Hoffman as the titular Rain Man, or Raymond, in the mouth of a toddler. Barry Morrow created the character of Raymond after meeting Kim Peek, a real-life savant who knew all of the credits of every movie Morrow had ever worked on and could answer any sports question he was challenged with. The inspiration for the plot also came from his own life. He once kidnapped a man with learning disabilities to keep him from being sent back to an institution. And incidentally, his relationship with that man, Bill Sachter, was turned into an Emmy Award-winning TV movie starring Mickey Rooney and Dennis Quaid. Rain Man was the highest grossing film of 1988, and it won four Oscars, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for Hoffman. We should definitely talk about 1988 at some point, as a year for film. Okay. It is a very, very good year for film. I, you know, I rely on you to look up the other movies that it was up against when we're talking about Oscars, (laughs) and so I didn't, I have no idea what else was up for Best Picture that year. Who else was up for Best Actor? Uh, Awards. Mm, Academy Awards. Right, let's go through it. Best Picture, won by Rain Man. Next options were The Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Les Liaisons des Russes, (laughs) Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. Okay. I've seen Working Girl. <laughs> other other films listed in the other categories, things like Fish Called Wanda, Last Temptation of Christ, Gorillas in the Mist, Big. Um, I'm sure there was something else that stood out. So, oh, Bull Durham, which, you know, favourite of listeners to the show. Hi, man. <laughs> um, hi, man. <laughs> so, you, you know, lots of films that did pretty well. Um, but then you come to some of the technical and some of the other films that performed very well in the year as a whole things like who framed roger rabbit coming to america twins cocktail die hard the naked gun okay 1988 is a really good year for film <laughs> yeah yeah some pretty pretty hard hitters there and it's funny because in the summer there's no sort of tent pole star wars mm-hmm. type film you the know something like that die hard is the closest that comes to mm-hmm. it in july so okay but yeah, good, good, solid year. So how were you able to watch Rain Man over in the UK? I rented this on Sky. It's available to rent on Amazon and a few other places. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. You? It is available to rent in many, many places, but it is also available for free on the Roku channel and on okay. Plex. Now that Plex has added its own streaming movies and television. Nice. So, um, although... Roku for sure has commercials because I ended up, I like to watch things with subtitles now. And when I turned the subtitles on in Plex, they didn't work. So I switched over to the Roku one where they did work and Roku had commercials. I don't know if Plex does or not. Right. Barry Levinson directing and stars Tom Cruise and stars Dustin Hoffman and a few other people. What's your experience of our, our key players? Well, this is our fourth Tom Cruise movie on the show. So I feel like we've exhausted that list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is only our second Hoffman movie. We did talk about him way back in year one when we did The Graduate, which mm-hmm. 
is still just about the only thing I've seen, surprisingly <laughs> enough. No, 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 Hook. He was Captain Hook and Hook. He is, he is also in Hook, yes. yes. I know his face. He's like Robert De Niro. You know who he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I used to mix up Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman and the other one. Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Good. In my brain. Because they were all like really famous old men to me mm-hmm. who played in dramas. Right. And so in my like 16-year-old brain, when I started becoming aware of movies, then... I, I couldn't keep them straight because I wasn't watching movies that they were in. I just would hear their names. No. And so I would confuse them all the time. It's it's an interesting selection because I'd throw into that um, Gene Hackman and Robert Redford. You know, mm-hmm. these these really good dramatic actors, but who do films for grownups. Yes, but I always knew who Robert Redford was. Um, but I'm not sure why. Mm. Possibly because I just think he's really attractive. And I did, even when I was a teenager. He is quite attractive. That's very fair. He is. Mm. That might be why. Mm. Um, Barry Levinson, that's his name, right? Barry? Barry. Barry, Barry Levinson. Um, I was surprised. I've heard his name before, but when I looked at his mm-hmm. filmography, the only other thing I was really familiar with was Good Morning Vietnam. Okay. Which I have seen. I don't remember a lot about it. I remember I really liked it. Um. I'm not even sure I watched all of it. I probably just watched it in passing, but um, that's it. Nothing else on the list stood out to me. Yeah. Okay. He's done a lot of films. Some good, some less good. Mm -hmm. Kind of hard to say similar material to this. Was there anything that stood out to you? Anything that we should compare it to? Things we could put on our list of like, hey, this is similar to this. I had a hard time with this question too. Um because there are different directions you can go with it. Um, are we just talking family dramas? Because that's what this is, right? And we've we've done several of those. We did The Family Stone. That's a family drama, right? We yeah. did The Blues Brothers. It's a comedy, you know? Um, and okay. so I kind musical, of... But... Not a musical. <laughs> um, I have watched several movies that are either specifically about autism or some form of neuroatypicalness. Um okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a word, but it's a word now. I'll take it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ones that actually came to mind initially were Temple Grandin, which was an HBO biopic starring Claire Danes several years okay. back. Very okay. good. Very good. Um, I Am Sam with Sean Penn and Dakota Fanning. Mm. The Other Sister with Juliette Lewis and Giovanni Ribisi. Okay. Um, and then when I was looking through lists of movies um, that discussed autism, the one that came up that surprised me was The Boy Who Could Fly. I remember watching this movie as a kid. Right. But I didn't actually remember what it was about. But apparently the titular character potentially had autism, according okay. to several lists that I found on websites saying such things. Right. I feel like those are all good movies. I can't really talk about how well they may or may not have portrayed the characters. Mm-hmm. They're there. They're good. Um, if we're talking about road trip movies or sibling movies, we recently did The Blues Brothers, <laughs> which involves both a mini road trip and siblings. Brothers, even. Yeah, they're basically the same <laughs> they're film. They're basically the same film, yeah. Um, I mean, if we're talking brothers and cars, can we throw in Logan Lucky? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know. 
Um, Thelma and Louise is another road trip movie. Okay. Right. So, I mean, there's a, this movie kind of has a lot of classic themes to it mm-hmm. that you would see all over the place. Yeah. And, and Thelma and Louise, in terms of the road trip stuff, mm-hmm. very, very similar. Yes. Uh, Dumb and Dumber, you know, very similar. I intentionally did not put that one on the list. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, uh, uh, didn't, no, no, no. No? no. Okay. No. <laughs> um, okay, Rain Man, let's get into this discussion. Did you like Rain Man? This is a hard question because it's a very hard movie to watch. But mm-hmm. I found it to be, I think my description is, this is a wonderful movie with a phenomenal cast that I will likely never watch again. Mm. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Mm. It is hard to watch. Charlie Babbitt is one of the worst people I have ever seen in my life. Okay. It's like, he is a terrible human being. At the start. Okay. And and I do I do always think when you introduce a character who's that awful, you're either saying he's the antagonist, which he clearly wasn't because he's Tom Cruise, <laughs> um, or you know they're going to have an arc where they learn a gentler side of themselves and to love their fellow man, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's I think what they were setting up here. That's and what they tried do not to think, do. Do you not think they got there? No. Oh, not at all. I I have many thoughts about uh, Charlie's character arc. Oh, interesting. Cause I, yeah, I think he uh, well learned learned some understanding for his own bitterness, at least, mm-hmm. and you know, understanding of that background from this. You know, in, in some ways, it is that story of going home and finding the truth of your life and so on. Okay, so let's just jump right in with with my big question or questions. Mm. Do you think the ending was earned, and do you think Charlie was redeemed by the end? And it sounds like you do. I definitely think the ending is earned, and I like the ending. I think the the institution we see him in, I cannot remember exactly what the institution is. It's well, right. um, something I, I said to you separately. You know, my aunt lived in an institution not too dissimilar to that. And it really did evoke, like, seeing people with different needs and different issues, ailments, things affecting them, somewhat being catered for, but also, you know, being grouped together. It, it, it evokes a lot of memories mm-hmm. for me. And see, seeing that. So I think, yes, that is the sort of place that's right for him. I do not think Charlie was the right person to deal with him. Mm-hmm. I don't think Charlie could walk away and take a breather, as he was being told to do at one point. So I like that he goes back. But I also like the way they do that Charlie does fight for him. Charlie has this belief of, no, I'm family, and I now love him after our week together. So I want to stay with him. I, I like that as well. I think... I think it comes to the the difficult decisions that, that people and families have to make about, you know, what is the best for these people that we love. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily making the right, po- my right choice generally through it. But by the end, he's the one who stops the doctor stroke the director <laughs> from asking the questions and says, no, you're right. Yes, he should go back. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the right thing for him. So I agree with you about the ending. I do like the ending. I love that. Right. That we don't get that saccharine Hollywood ending where Charlie and Ray live happily ever after. Like, mm. Ray goes back to the place that's best for him. To a place Absolutely. where the people understand him and his needs and can, they are equipped to take care of him mm. in a way that Charlie is not. I did really appreciate that. And, and I liked it. The reason I don't think it's earned is because the movie wants us to believe 
mm-hmm. that the Charlie from the beginning, who they set up to be an absolute terrible person in every aspect of his life, Absolutely. the woman that he's been seeing for a year, the business that he runs, he's an absolute con man, he hates his father, all that he cares about is money, like all of these things magically go away after he spends six days with a brother he didn't know he had. And they don't show us that transformation. Mm. We see bits and pieces of their trip. We don't see the full six days. And six days is not a very long time. But they're family, and I can understand that the knowledge of someone being family and understanding that a memory that you had that has defined you your whole life, because he talked about his imaginary friend at the beginning, right? He talked about Rain Man. Mm -hmm. So clearly that has stuck with him. I can understand why that would speed along the process of getting to where Charlie got to, but I don't think the movie gave us enough to buy it. I don't buy it, I think, is really where I am on Charlie's character. I don't think, I don't know the best way to word it. I was talking to Joseph about this last night, and I told him like I that I wish I was recording what we said because I, I felt like I had all of my thoughts so clear and articulate, and then I went <laughs> to sleep, and now they're gone. But I just, I just, I feel like I don't buy it. I don't think we got enough of the transformation. The movie tells us he's a different person, but they don't show us he's a different person. Like it yeah. happened virtually mm-hmm. overnight. He just became a different person. Mm. And that's why I don't feel like the ending was earned. I love the ending. I love that Charlie loves Ray enough to do what's best for him, to recognize Mm -hmm. the distress and anxiety that Ray was having in the moment with the questions, and that he let him get on that train. And he had already Mm -hmm. planned a visit for two weeks. You know, those things are wonderful. But I feel like that character is an absolute 180 from the beginning of the movie and we're not shown enough of that development okay the thing i think it comes down to is it's almost how tom cruise sells the stuff we talks about his relationship with his father mm-hmm. and and the fact that it's his father dying is obviously the significant part of this because i i think i do buy his whole thing of um you know i wanted to drive this car and i took it out once and you know, my father called the police on me and then I left home the next day and we've never talked since, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important to see, to be like, okay, I can see how that's informing his life and his take on life. Okay. Um, And the way he is, that he's always trying to prove how good he is, but he just is untethered. (laughs) You know, he has no compass necessarily. He just is... You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do now? And no one to go to for advice. Doesn't have a, a parental unit. Doesn't have a sibling. Has just been doing whatever's necessary. Mm-hmm. So he's got that. And then as he goes on, and when he learns that one of the reasons Raymond is in the institution is because they think he almost hurt Charlie. Mm-hmm. And the fact he had a brother was kept from him, even though there was clearly a bond. You know, he understands that's what the Rain Man was. And he understands there was that bond there. Well, okay, I'm going to use the expression again then. It's a thing that helps tether him. Okay. And and go, I have a dock in this storm of my life. I have a thing I can write. And from here, where do I go? And what's the next thing? What's the next thing? I think that those are the big plot points of mm-hmm. here are the emotional anchor moments in this film that we're going to talk about that are the, the big scenes. I think I saw it in the small moments, in 
the whole thing of wanting the bed by the window. He pretty much mocks him initially. And then by the time you're in Las Vegas and he's really happy, he's like, I told him to put your bed by that window. Yeah. And he just accepts that's the thing. Having maple syrup on the table, he's just, this is what my brother needs and it makes him happy. Making him happy makes me happy. Right. And he's come to understand that rather than just, I expect you to be able to function at my level. Mm-hmm. Neurotypical, in inverted commas. He's now to a point of, actually, it's not easy to deal with, but there are things I can do to make it work. Yeah. Which is why it's almost a shame when he almost then sets fire to the apartment. Yeah. Having been left to assume, but, you know, the the plot needs to be driven on in that way. But I, I feel like I do see it in some of the small moments. Uh, but I can, I think I can see how you don't see it mm-hmm. because it's, it is such a big change from where he was. Yes. I think I wanted more of those small moments because people just don't change that quickly. And maybe I'm just too jaded in this <laughs> world of 2020 coronavirus that oh, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like people in general right now. And, and maybe that's driving some mm-hmm. of my feelings about Charlie because. And another, I think the other part of it, though, is that the amount of time that this movie spent with asshole Charlie versus good Charlie, quote unquote, good Charlie, is disproportionate. This movie is like two hours and 13 minutes long and well over an hour into the movie. Tom Cruise is still yelling at Ray, not understanding Ray at all, not understanding his need for routine, not understanding why he may get out of the car when they're at a car accident, right? Why he doesn't want to be on the interstate, why he doesn't want to fly on a plane. You know, he, he gives Ray concessions like choosing to drive instead of fly, Mm -hmm. you know, choosing to drive behind him on the interstate until they get off the interstate. But he does those things begrudgingly and out of anger. And he only does them as a means to an end. Right. And that doesn't begin to change probably until the last 45 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think I feel like it happened overnight. And so I wanted more of those small moments. Okay. I I don't think I would expect it to change any sooner. Okay. Is part of the thing. Because, you know, we have to establish the character and we have to have moments where he can change. And even like you've reminded me about things like offering to drive behind him until they get off and making sure he doesn't go on the interstate. Mm -hmm. Because you know so it's not so um dangerous for him and so on like those are surprisingly nice things from this guy surprise like going on the interstate would have been the thing i assume yeah oh yeah i mean even it takes so much longer if you don't drive on the interstate yeah so So, much longer i can't even remember where his father was cincinnati and he's Los Angeles, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Next question. Where's Cincinnati? Ohio. <laughs> Middle of the Midwest. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Probably the eastern side of the Midwest, but but okay. firmly in that Midwest camp. It's sort of up Illinois yes. sort of area. Yes. I have to drive through Ohio okay. to get to Michigan from North Carolina. Right. Okay. And let me tell you, it's, no. <laughs> it's, it's a long stretch of interstate in Ohio, mm. but... Yes, that's okay. Midwestern ish. So, not doing that thing like that's a surprisingly good thing to do. It is, but I think at that point, I don't think Charlie's doing it to be kind. He's doing it because it's the easier thing. 
thing to do. It's easier to just give in than it is to try and reason with Ray. And maybe I'm judging motive more than I should. Maybe they don't actually explicitly state motive. Maybe I am inferring mm-hmm. it and mm. I'm doing it differently than you are. What well, what they don't do then is he doesn't keep trying to go on the interstate. That's true. You know, and Which they, they don't the drive thing, when like it rains. Thing. Like it rains for like mm. two days and they don't drive, right? Yeah, yeah. So right. he does continue to make these concessions for Ray. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I still feel like he's not doing it to make Ray happy. He's doing it to make his life as easy as possible in these challenging times. Yeah. And I think that's why I fault him for it. Hmm. Is there anything we can read into that then, if we go deep into the story, that he is trying to delay getting back to his life? If he is, it's only because he doesn't want to have to deal with the money issues. Mm, Exactly. You know, is there something in there that we could read into it of actually these are the actions of someone who wants to change, that wants to have a difference, that wants someone to care about and doesn't know how to in his current circumstances, his untethered space? Mm Mm-hmm. And his time with Raymond, although it is seems to cause him anxiety and cause him, cause him upset, does allow him to change. Mm-hmm. It it does. I don't give think him... the film thinks that's there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I I do think that there is something to the idea that Charlie now has someone that he has to take care of. Hmm. Right. When he's with Susanna, and I was shocked to find out they had been together for a year when right. when she said that. Like, I thought she was like an office fling, like just mm-hmm. random weekends in Palm Springs. But they're a thing, like, like getting married kind of thing. And their lives are so separate. You know, mm. I think they drove in that car for like two hours and didn't speak a word to each other. Yeah. So even though he had someone in his life... He didn't, I don't want to say he didn't take care of her because she's a grown-ass woman and she can take care of herself. But but you know what I mean? Like, he didn't, he didn't have support in her and she didn't have support in him. Mm. And he was thrown into the situation with Ray where he had to mm-hmm. because there was no other choice. And that may, that may have gone a long way in, in propelling him in the direction that he went in, I begrudgingly mm. say. <laughs> and I think you you saying he didn't take care of her is pretty much on point. He doesn't care for her. Mm-hmm. He just wants someone there. Yeah. Yes. You know. Absolutely. And again, maybe he's calling out for a, 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 a partner's not the right word. Like you say, someone to care for, someone mm-hmm. to actually someone who matters, an emotional connection with. Hmm. I think. I think at the heart of human humanity, human nature, we all want. We want to matter to someone, and we want someone mm-hmm. who matters to us. To get deeply philosophical really? here. <laughs> Aren't we all just seeking a connection? Yes. I'm sure that's a reference to something that I don't get, but... I, f- I feel like it's a Mad Men advert, oh. but I can't remember now. Yeah, I haven't seen Mad Men I think yet. it's how I think it's how they sold Hershey's or... No. Okay. Kodak Carousel or something. <laughs> and, and so I think if we come at it from, like, that humanistic perspective you know i don't think the Mm. movie was intentionally saying that but i think we can read it into it Mm. given that once he has that connection that is when he begins to change well one of the things it reminded me of was um 
what Emily said about the King's speech. Okay. About how there was something in that, that it wasn't a a love story, but it was a sort of friendship story about these two men together and going Mm -hmm. through something and learning to spend time together and take care of each other and help each other, that kind of thing. There was very much that sort of aspect in this. It wasn't a love story. But it is. But it was about a growing bond between them. It is a love story. It's just not a romantic Uh, Okay, not a romance story. story. Yeah. 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 I like, um, like Lonnie says that the West Wing is a love story between Jed and Leo. In some episodes, not all of them. Yeah. Not not all of them, but some of them. And I think... Sonic TV is so difficult for that, isn't it? <laughs> and I think that's exactly what the King's Speech was as well, between mm. Bertie. <laughs> the two main actors. <laughs> oh, I can't remember. God, we just watched this movie a couple weeks ago. Bertie and... What was the doctor's name? Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> the, the the interesting thing is, Tom Cruise gets second credit in this film. He should. I, I think for us it's easier to talk about Charlie in some mm-hmm. ways. Obviously, and, and, you know, to put ourselves in his shoes mm-hmm. and to, to consider his story. But it's interesting that that's your, your sort of thought about it, is about his character arc on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like it should be his story. Because he's the one who goes through a change from the beginning to the end. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. That's can the best I way. In writing? No, that's the best way that I can say something where I can't find a logical reason to disagree with you, but I still disagree with you. You're not wrong. But you're wrong. But everything you said was wrong. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Yeah, like logically you're not wrong, but emotionally to me, I don't like it. It okay. infuriates Joseph when I do this. Um and I, I don't know why – I don't know that I can articulate why I think it's right for Dustin Hoffman to get – I mean, the, the Academy agreed with me. He won for Best Actor in a Lead Role. Yeah, but – I mean – Who was it who said – someone, John Cl- – Michael Caine, I think, there was a comment about this is Michael Caine's favorite film. No, I'm going to take that back. I think he said something like – Tom Cruise's performance is his favourite performance in a film. Okay. And and apparently, did you read this? It sounds vaguely familiar. There's a thing about how Michael Caine had gone through the same experience of finding out he had a brother in an institution and, like, it had been kept from him and what that does to you and all the turmoil and stuff. I've not read that. I hope I'm not making this up now. Um, Um. well, let me- but the, but that he when you watch the performance, there's some really interesting stuff in there of the anger of like this has been kept from me, and the only person I can express that anger to is the person who has no way of dealing with it anyway. I when I Google Michael Caine and Rain Man, I find that Michael Caine once said that Cruz carries the film on his back, but I don't see Maybe anything. It was Michael Caine? Maybe it was John Cleese or something. And whether I've made, I might entirely have made this up. To be fair. I don't think I did, but there was someone like that. But I, what I was coming to, I think, maybe, possibly, was there was a comment in there about how, in some ways, what Dustin Hoffman doing is worthy of the big credit because, I mean, Dustin Hoffman was the bigger actor at this stage, certainly the more mm-hmm. long-standing actor, and he's doing the acting. I mean, Tom Cruise here. Tom Cruise you, is being you, Tom Cruise. 
Yeah, he's not pushing himself too far for some of this, to be honest with you. He doesn't smile and he doesn't do a lot of running, so... Um, Dustin Hoffman is having to put on a performance. Yes. So you can sort of see it from that perspective, that kind of thing. But in terms of whose story is this, it's Charlie's. And that's why I think we're going to talk a lot about Charlie's, but actually there's a lot to talk about for Raymond. But it's more to do with how this film portrays someone with autism. The fact it's about an autistic savant and whether that's good or bad and what that's done mm-hmm. um, to the autistic community, the new and atypical community. Um, but I don't know that I have much to talk about on Raymond as a character. Before I respond to that, I want to tell you, I Go just on. found a thing from 1991 that says Rain Man is real for Michael Caine. And you are right. Nice. You did not make it up. He had an older brother whose existence was concealed for like half a century. There we Absolutely go. Absolutely right. Ten points of Slytherin. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I think you're right. There's there's not a lot to Raymond's character because this, like you said, this isn't his story. Mm. I want it to be his story. I adored his character there, there were parts where I said, I think in my notes, I love Raymond. I hate Charlie. Right. And, you know, I said that to Joseph last night and he said, why? He said, what is there to love about Raymond's character? Because he agrees with you. He doesn't have any substance as a character. Okay. And I think he does because I think we get to see hints of his personality. I, and the, the scene that keeps coming to mind when I think of Raymond and why he makes me smile was... After Charlie teaches him how to dance, slow dancing, mm-hmm. and then later he's alone in the suite, and Charlie watches him across the room, and he's dancing to fast music, and he's just moving and dancing, and moments like that make me love his character and see him as an individual. Mm-hmm. I don't see him as this generic, stereotypical, autistic person. Okay. And I think I don't think the movie intended to portray him that way, and I don't think they did. I think thirty years later, it's easy to look back and and say they did. Mm. But I think at the time, the portrayal, Dustin Hoffman's portrayal, was about as good as you could get without actually casting Kem Peek. Yeah, in that role, I think mm. Dustin Hoffman put a lot of effort and a lot of work. He worked with Kim Peek, like Kim Peek was a consultant mm. in in making sure that, that he was respectful and that he wasn't making fun of someone who is a savant or mm. is autistic. They are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's important we point that mm. out. The movie does not point that out. No. And I think in 1988, mm. they didn't know. They... they, they that's not true. I think in 1988, it was still very much, we're just going to lump all of the people together who we don't consider normal under the same label, mm-hmm. right? And that's why mm-hmm. we had women institutionalized for hysteria back in the 1800s. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's that, oh, if that, only it was the only 1800s. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, that, that, that uh-huh. same sort of mentality existed well into, God, probably the 2000s, late. 20, 2010s even. So for sure in 1988. And that's why I 
I don't have a problem with Dustin Hoffman's portrayal in this movie because he did it okay. as respectful and as well as he could in 1988. I think the mm. writers wrote it as respectful as they could in 1988 mm-hmm. by making Raymond his own character, making making him a person. They made him an individual with his own personality who could in some ways make his own decisions. Not okay. not every decision, but some decisions. And mm-hmm. by the end of it, we get to see Tom Cruise stand up for him with the line, he is more capable than you think he is. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if they hadn't had that line in there, it would have been harder to digest. But I think what they were trying to do was make a movie about two brothers and one just happens to be neuroatypical. And it okay. wasn't hey, look at this guy. He's different. Ha ha. Isn't it funny? Yeah. Yeah, the film never goes to that quite. Oh, you know, I'm still, I'm thinking maybe it does ever so slightly in places. It it makes it a funny thing because it's quirky. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's sitting there when they're having sex. Oh, it's funny. But at the same time, it does go to, he hits himself when he's disturbed and he is not easy to deal with. Mm Mm-hmm. At times, and you worry about him, and you worry about what would happen to him, and so on. So I think it does, it, you know, it walks both sides of that mm-hmm. pretty well. I, I think Dustin Hoffman's performance is probably the, my favourite thing about it as a film. Um, and part of that is because they never break the character to give us an emotional moment. Right. A moment of, I'm going to say lucidity. That's not the right thing. But... Um, the bit where they put their heads together at the end... It's the closest we get. Yeah. I think a lesser movie and a lesser performance would have turned a men like, I still love you. Mm-hmm. Or I love you too, or something. Some, you know, moment of connection that is... Somewhere inside him is a, in inverted commas, normal person. Right. They never do that. Even at the end, when he sat on the train, he doesn't look over and wave. He's into his TV at that point. Wapner's on. Life. That's... Exactly. That's what he does at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's what he does then. I, I, I will commend the film with not doing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in some ways this is my, and, and you know, understanding from reading different things and hearing what this does to, to the perception of autism. In general, the film does stuff well. Mm-hmm. Like I say, seeing, seeing an institution like that just brought back all these memories of going and taking my aunt out for the day, visiting her, spending time with her. And seeing people with different needs there, this kind of thing. It was just like, oh, they've got, that is really well done. There are things of the relationship and dealing with a, a person who has needs in that way, I think are done very well. And it, and it is constant. You just have to keep thinking of them. You just have to keep dealing with them and making the allowances. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a moment where it lets up and they're, oh, okay, let's sit and have a normal conversation. And uh, no, you, you just deal with them. But the specifics... Of having this character and saying he is autistic and he can count cards and win you thousands, tens of thousands, dozens of thousands of dollars Doesn't at the casino. Right. Does this thing of, oh, great, can we all get ourselves an autistic buddy who can do that? Right. <laughs> and, the, and the film, exactly like you said, does not do. Raymond is based on this person. This person is a savant. However, there are many autistic people who do have um, emotional needs and need the care that we can provide them visit this you know 
visit this representative in the lobby as you're leaving to donate some money. You know, something, just something to say, We're what we're representing here is the 0.001% who mm-hmm. may also have the, something within them that allows them to deal with numbers and counting and remembering in that way. Mm-hmm. But this is not what is normally represented in this community. Right, right. I think they I think, took... I think that's the problem with it. I read in... Actually, I think it was in... We were sent a link um, to an article in The Guardian from 2018 talking about 30 years later. Um, it's right. called Rain Man at 30, Damaging Stereotype or the Best Thing That Happened to Autism. And they call what Dustin Hoffman ended up doing a composite savant, um, adding autism mm-hmm. to the character. Right. And I think... Um, Rain Man, you know, like we said, Rain Man led many people to assume that every autistic person is also mm-hmm. has these savant-like capabilities, and yeah. that's not true. No. And I think, I think the movie was a wide. It gave a wide audience information mm-hmm. about. A condition, a disorder. I don't know the right word okay. to use there. But I think the movie made it accessible mm-hmm. to people where it hadn't been accessible before. Mm. And for that, I think it's a good thing. I, I think I'd agree. I think, you know, it is good to have scope for a conversation mm-hmm. and scope for wider understanding. It, it almost feels like this was made as a film piece of entertainment that we can sit here and have a conversation about hey how much popcorn did you get through as you watched it and how much did you enjoy this film <laughs> where there's an aspect of oh, i i don't want to compare it to schindler's list because you know schindler's list is up there on a pedestal for me for what right. it does and what it represents schindler's list does still give you facts and information and tells you about the reality of the situation that you've just sat through a movie about right it understands it is a piece of entertainment media, but it does something to help bridge some of that gulf mm-hmm. to the reality that's presenting. And I wish this is my change for Rain Man. And, and I, I enjoyed it well enough. Exactly like you. This is a good film. I'm not sure I want to watch it again. Right. But I wish it just did something. The movie you're about to see represents a person who has these abilities. However, Mm-hmm. I think if this thing. movie were yeah. made today, we would have one, we would know up front that it was based on the life of a real person. And in mm-hmm. the closing credits, we would get snippets of that real person followed up oh, with for would, more information mm-hmm. about autism or mm-hmm. whatever it, neuro atypicalness. You know, mm-hmm. here are resources. I think yeah. if this movie were made today, we would have that just to say this isn't – it's a spectrum. This isn't the only way someone can be neuroatypical. Yeah. This is not the prototype or the – not prototype. What's the word I'm looking for? Stereotype? Soul example? Soul example. Let's use that. This mm. this is not the way someone – Absolutely. Is neuroatypical. And this Mm. movie does kind of portray that because we don't see enough of the other patients in the institution. Like in Walbrook, we do see a few who are Down syndrome, but Mm -hmm. we see others who do some of the rocking and moaning the way that 
that Raymond does. And others are just there in the room doing a puzzle or watching TV. And we don't get to interact with them at all. And so he is held up as the example. This is how someone who is neuroatypical responds to sensory overload. Mm -hmm. And that's not true for everybody. And, And there's an implication of... If you are autistic, you also have a superpower. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. which is very not true. Right. So hmm. it does lead me to a question, though. Would they make this film now? Considering that we live in a world where Hollywood will cast um, Scarlett Johansson to be the lead in Ghost in the Shell. Yes, I do believe they would make this movie now. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe there would be a backlash. And I think maybe in 2020, they would... If not cast an actor who is neuroatypical, mm. would have resources, consultants, mm. people involved who are more familiar with that way of life. It's true. But presumably there is a American Autistic Association. I don't know. Some sort of thing that they would work with that would do exactly some of that and do some positive uh, spin positive promotion mm-hmm. promotion that's the word um about you know here is how you can help here is what this means mm-hmm. here is what people have to deal with in their lives yes mm. it's called you are actually very close it is called the uh, well there is the american autism association and the national autism association and the autism society okay there are always multiple charities aren't there yes yes so if you're not sure call triple a Start from there. Um, there is autismspeaks.org, autism I bet no one's ever made that joke before. <laughs> I don't get it. Triple A. Tri- oh, Triple A, because American Autism mm. Association. That's probably why it's autismspeaks.org instead of triple A.org. Mm. It might be. It might be. Because um, I did have a bit of a struggle thinking about my favorite things from this. Because mm-hmm. it's a good film. Mm-hmm. It's solid. I, and I did think, you know, when we came to talk about it, I would probably talk about the performances because I think Tom Cruise is very good. It is just Jerry Maguire. And it's basically Jerry Maguire's arc in part of it. Jerry Maguire was never this terrible of a human being. That would be an interesting He was to talk selfish, about but I don't think he was. He would not have said the things that Charlie said to Ray. Okay. Hmm. But I think it's a good performance. It, but it's a performance we know we can get from him. Yes. And I think the performance from Dustin Hoffman is spectacular. Mm-hmm. I did like Who's On First. But that's mostly because I do like Who's On First. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's very good. I, it is very good. I enjoyed that, I enjoyed is the wrong word. Because every time he used it, it was because he was in a situation that made him anxious. And that's how he calmed himself mm. down. And so it wasn't something where I could be like, oh. That's so funny. That's so great because it was always in moments where I knew he was struggling, and so my heart True. hurt for him. Okay, but Thanks. using I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> using that as that mechanism, I think was really great because he got it from his father. Like he didn't necessarily mm. understand the comedy, and giving Charlie the opportunity to try and explain the comedy to him was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and moving from that to. Ray making a joke. Kmart sucks yes, yeah. at the end, you know? And, and yeah, yeah. You know, I, it, it was good. Yes, it was good. Hmm. I just viewed it differently than you did, that's all. Yeah, the film does make a point of saying he's high-functioning. 
he can he can again cope is totally the wrong word Mm -hmm. but he doesn't need someone watching him at all times right i have i struggle with the idea of high functioning or low functioning and it's because of a series of tiktok videos i watched recently of an autistic girl explaining why it's not okay to use high functioning Okay. And I have to tell you, I can't... Well, tell me. What stuck with me is that we just shouldn't do it. The whys behind it are not things that I can recall and bring to the top of my mind. So I will okay. find it and I will link to it in the okay. show notes. And I'll, mm. I'll send it to you. Um, mm. But yes, the movie did, I think, kind of go out of its way to show that Ray was... He could be left alone mm. for periods of time. He can't live alone. We, we saw no. that. But mm-hmm. he doesn't need constant supervision. Mm. He is capable of entertaining himself. I don't want to mm-hmm. say taking care of himself. Managing himself. Managing yeah. himself for, mm. for periods of time. Um, he and, understood and his routine. maintaining a conversation. He yeah. knew what the rules were. He knew where he was supposed mm. to be and when he was supposed to be there. And he didn't want to deviate from that. Um, yeah. So, yes. And, and that the movie called that high-functioning. Yes, I didn't know. I don't know if there was another word for it, another term for it, because you're absolutely right. At the very least, it's a spectrum. It's not like suddenly someone goes from a 10 to a 5, mm-hmm. whether they're high or low, you know, something like that. Well, you know, but, but society has made the term high-functioning acceptable. I mean, they even mm. used it in, in Sherlock. He's a high-functioning sociopath. Oh, yes, Is that what yeah, he calls yeah. himself? Yeah. You know, it's it's just a normal word in our vernacular, mm. but I think... Um, I wouldn't have ever thought about it if I hadn't watched right. that girl talking about it and talking about what it's like in her life to hear those things, mm. which is why it's on my mind. I, I would definitely go and do some more reading on that because I would be interested to understand that better. Yeah. I was also recommended to a book called Neurotribes, which is about the legacy of autism. Okay. Um, uh, what does it say? The legacy of autism and how to think smarter about people who think differently. Um, which apparently does talk about this film, which is why I think I was linked to it, but is a uh, well-recommended book on these sorts of things. And is currently free on Kindle. Cool. So it's not that Hoson first made me happy when he was upset. Let's just <laughs> circle back to this. I like the gag who's on first, and it made me happy to think of it. Okay. All right. I'm sorry I spoiled that for you. That's not my intention. Fine. So what did you like? <laughs> We've talked about the ending. I really did like the ending. Um, right. I, I love that the ending was in such a way. And, and I had I thought about this just a minute ago when we were talking about um, how they didn't change Ray at the end and give him that moment of connection. They didn't mm-hmm. have him say, I love you. Right. I was actually annoyed watching it that Charlie didn't say, I love you to Ray. Okay. But after talking to you and hearing you talk about leaving, you know, having Ray watching his TV because that's what he does. They didn't change him mm-hmm. for that moment. I'm glad they didn't give Charlie the I love you because the expectation then would have been for Ray to say it back. And yeah. it would have been mm-hmm. harder and more disjointed for him to just walk away at that point. And so it's yeah. better to leave it out altogether. And, and that makes me appreciate the ending even more. Hmm. You get a hint of it where they put their heads together, mm-hmm. that the whole 
Charlie, my main man thing. Charlie, my main man. Which I love that. Is is just on the right side of breaking the character to deliver an emotional moment. Mm-hmm. It's just about okay, but I think... Mm. Yeah. The mm. music of the movie was actually really good, too, because in that moment... It's exceptional. There, there were times during that whole arc where he's talking to Dr. Bruner and they're trying, they're asking Ray all of these questions. Like the music, I got teary eyed because of the music. Like the music Mm -hmm. evoked that emotion for me, not what I was seeing on screen. And I think they did that on purpose because Mm -hmm. they needed that emotion. Um, And I think that's part of why I feel like where I was talking about why it wasn't earned because I felt that emotion, but I wasn't really sure why. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. what was happening on screen hadn't gotten me there, but the music mm. took me home, right? And I was teary-eyed. And I wonder if the composer... Oh, it's Hans, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. So, yeah. Um, I wonder if he and the director knew that they would have this sort of element of the film that couldn't deliver some of the emotion they would want, mm-hmm. necessarily. So what can we do to substitute and supplement that? It worked. It did work, absolutely. Hmm. My very, very favorite thing about this movie, though, is the okay. scene in the phone booth when okay. Ray's in the phone booth with Charlie and he goes, uh oh, fart. And he <laughs> farts. And they talk about it. That whole scene was improvised. Dustin oh. Hoffman improvised the fart thing, and I think it's amazing. And he stayed in character for it, and like Tom Cruise stayed in character for it, and it, it made me laugh, it made me giggle, and I liked it a lot. <laughs> See, that's the sort of moments where they, they're doing, oh, you know, it's quirky and fun what what he is dealing with and the way he is, mm-hmm. which I think just makes you sympathetic to him. It doesn't make you laugh at him. Right. I never laughed at him. I never felt mm. the movie wanted me to laugh at him. Mm. I think this movie and movies like it can be difficult to watch and difficult to talk about because in our quest to not be offensive or in our quest to be respectful, it's hard to figure out where that line is. Yep. And I don't think this movie ever crossed that line. No, I'd agree. Even and, and when it has funny movies so good. moments like, uh oh, fart. Mm, yeah. Which I think was probably the most blatant, but not the only, mm. because we also have him with the hooker in the bar. Yeah, you see, the whole Las Vegas sequence is really interesting, I think. Because there is the the aspect of it that he's exploiting him. Mm-hmm. Using his ability to cheat and to try to get away with it. Which, fine. You know, we've, we've seen other films do this in worse ways. But he is taking him to get the new clothes so they look decent whilst doing it. And he is giving him the respect of, we'll just go through it, we'll do it one by one. And then when he's saying, oh, we should bet this on the Wheel of Fortune thing. He just does it. Mm-hmm. He's not questioning him. He's not debating it at any time. He's like, yeah, okay, we will do that thing. And then when the hooker is talking to him at the bar, he's like, well, okay, this will be interesting. I'm going to sit over there. I'm going to watch what you're doing. And He lets him he, you know, choose. He's not going to let anything go too far. Right. But uh, but he let, oh, lets him have that experience. Oh, is that the right thing he should have done? Who knows? But he doesn't treat him like a child. And and I was really worried that we were going to end up with a thing of him in the hotel room with her and uh, owing her lots of money. So that's why I thought we were going to end up. Yeah. So I'm glad we didn't. So let's talk about that elevator scene with Susanna. Oh, do we have to? 
I have a really hard time with that scene. I 100% believe that it was included as it's intended to be a kindness. She, mm-hmm. I, I believe that was their intention that she was doing something for him that he had never experienced. She was viewing him as a person and giving him something that he hadn't had before. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but it was so uncomfortable. My notes are all caps. Susanna, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Why did you have thing. to stop the elevator? Like, thank God it was only a kiss. I thought it was going to be more. And I was really upset, like really upset. Um, but then it was just the kiss, but still that kiss was not consensual. It was icky. Yeah. It just, I I mean, she doesn't even need to be in Las Vegas. (laughs) No, she didn't need to be in the, (sighs) other than to set up the kind of person Charlie was at the beginning. She didn't need to be in the movie. If she really cared about Ray and how Charlie was treating him, she would have stayed. Hmm to be a buffer and instead she just left Ray with him. Right? She didn't need to be in the movie. No. I, I think she needs to be in the beginning to give us lots of exposition and she needs to be there to give him someone to explain the history with his father. Right. I think all that is useful. And I, I there was a note about how they were gonna cast someone else and then they ended up casting um Valeria Gelino. And they said it was actually quite useful having someone who is clearly not a native English speaker, who has a strong Italian accent, because it allows them to over-elaborate some of that exposition Mm -hmm. and explain some of the background that you necessarily wouldn't do with an English speaker. Right. Like, I I can see it from that perspective, but she should have left the film at that point. Yes. And when they get to Los Angeles, maybe have a couple of scenes where she sees the difference in Charlie and we see, oh, God, wouldn't that have been good? Although I think you get some of it in Los Angeles, in, in Las Vegas, but when he gets Los Angeles, we can see the difference between the two Charlies through what this experience has given us. Right. Mm, okay. Yeah. But having her show back up in Vegas, I I did not like. No. Yeah, I didn't like that scene. At all. It's there so that we can have the, and what if we kiss the autistic person? What happens then? Well, nothing, clearly. Yeah. What could have happened is strong emotional distress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Rain Man? Oh, only me with a diatribe about the title. And this is the other downside of it, is Rain Man has become a a, a phrase for autistic people or people who have emotional needs in the way of Raymond, and people call them Rain Man. But that's not the fault of the movie, and they could not have predicted that that would happen. I actually think it's adorable. Once I realized where where Rain Man came from... Okay. Like that it was a toddler trying to say Raymond because he mm-hmm. loved his older brother. Like that makes perfect sense. And having okay. that be the bridge to the connection once Charlie figures it out, I think it's a fantastic title. And okay. I think that what society has done with it since then is awful, but I don't think the movie can be held accountable for that. Okay. I don't know what it is. I feel like there's a better title for this film. Okay. But- because again the the phrase rain man puts it all back onto raymond is the central character and i'm not sure that he is but that's me i i think the only compromise i can come to is to say that charlie and raymond are equally important Mm -hmm. to the story that's fair Mm -hmm. what's next on our tom tom cruise list is there anything left 
Oh, yes. We haven't done cocktail yet. That's on the list. (laughs) Crikey. So we're staying in the 80s. (laughs) We did Days of Thunder. We did Top Gun. We've now done Rain Mound. We got Born on the 4th of July, which I've never seen. I haven't seen that either. Um, Cocktail, The Color of Money, Legend, Risky Business. Risky Business. I want to see that too. Why are There's you? not enough space in my head to roll my eyes far enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, Risky Business is the one that has the scene that yes. has been spoofed can we, can we just... in every television show and movie ever. Can we go to YouTube and just watch that scene now and move on? <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure Risky Business is not a good film outside of that thing. Any of the 90s films? Any of the 2000s films? Is there anything that you... I've probably seen them. Well. And I refuse like to of, watch... Edge of Tomorrow, you know? Okay, that's fair. We've done that one ah. on the show. I've seen it now. <laughs> all right. Hang on. Let me go look. Have you seen all the Mission Impossibles? No. I actually have not. Oh, you've not seen Collateral, have you? No. Ooh, okay. So there's a good. lot that I haven't seen. Well, we'll pick one and that'll, that'll be our next one where we come back to him. You've seen Minority Report, right? I have seen Minority Report. I have okay. not. Okay. Minority Report's up there as a perfect film. So. Okay. Minority Report is wonderful. Good. I have not seen Eyes Wide Shut. I have not seen War of the Worlds. I watched 30 Minutes of Tropic Thunder, Never Again. Yeah, same. Okay. Do you know, that was an interesting thing. Uh, On, it might have been TikTok, it might have been Twitter. Uh, Apparently there was a big thing recently of teens who love the MCU going, Hey, did you know there's a whole film where Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface? (laughs) Which, yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. What's Magnolia about? It's an an anthology. Do you remember, um, what was it called? Grand Canyon? Yes. It's a little bit like that. Lots of different stories with sort of tangential links between some of them. It is an epic psychological drama. And is a mosaic of interrelated characters in search of happiness, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. Mm. Okay, it is but it, basically it great. It doesn't cake. quite tie together in the same way Grand Canyon did. Okay. Not one you would recommend? I find it hard to recommend. Maybe people love it. Maybe if I watched it not expecting it to hold together quite as much as a Grand Canyon did. What about War of the Worlds? There is always War of the Worlds. I have not seen it. Which it's is fine. It's like a sci-fi-ish thing, so it's not this family drama, but it's also not mm. So I Married an Axe Murderer. No, that's true. There's always collateral. But you've said that twice now, so... It follows a Los Angeles cab driver and his customer, Vincent, who offers a high fare for driving to several locations. Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. Stop reading. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I will let you choose War of the Worlds or Collateral. It sounds like you're more interested in Collateral. Well, let's go with Collateral. It's higher up the alphabet, so let's at least do that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation and tell us which Tom Cruise movies you think I should watch, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EloquentGushing, or you can send an email to podcast at EloquentGushing.com. There are people shouting into the mic- their speakers like, Magnolia's amazing, and War of the Worlds is a really, really good action film. Go and watch them. Possibly. I'm sorry to those people, but Collateral's <laughs> really good. 
<laughs> well, so we are still continuing the trend. I have not seen a Tom Cruise movie I didn't like. So as long no. as we don't watch the, you know, 2019 Mummy movie, we're probably good. Absolutely. I refuse. Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by listeners like you through Patreon. You can get access to exclusive content, bonus content, early shows, new shows, all sorts of audio content, more for your ear holes. And you can get physical merch uh, by supporting us, giving at least $1 a month. You can find out more by visiting patreon.com slash gushing. I was expecting more of a laugh when I used the word ear holes, but... It's just a normal word now. <laughs> okay. I say it all the time. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Oh. I've disappointed you a lot in today's episode. Yeah. <laughs> Sleepy Mandy is not, not a good one to record with. Uh, whatever. M- Matthew, after he's eaten way too much Chinese food, a little bit hyper. All right. Well, we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about what women want. Because Matthew has not seen it. Until next time, I am Mandy Kay. And I got rose bushes, didn't I? Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.